0: All right. Hey, everybody, it's Justin. Welcome to May Day. Uh, we got a special guest this week because we had some scheduling conflicts. So I had to do, you know, dial up the Rolodex and say, who can I get to fill in on the show this week? And my number one fill in, my number one person, Miss Delia Harrington, is joining us this week. Uh, for those of you who are new to the podcast, uh, you should go back and check out anything that says Delia Harrington. On our archives. Uh, for those of you who have listened in the past, you will know that she is awesome and has lots of great things to say about many things. She does many things. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that right now. So welcome to the show, Miss Harrington. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me back.
0: Oh, no problem. Always happy to talk to you because again, every time I talk to you, you're either added a thing to your life uh or your career or your writings uh are just doing all the things all the time whether you're like getting on tv with important people and doing super cool stuff activism wise or you're writing about new shows uh or the handmaid's tale you're just everywhere all the time so i continue to be impressed by your energy and all the things you do thank you so uh let's get right right into this part i want to know so far and i know you've seen one more episode than we're going to talk about you've seen up through episode six and that's what you've written about um Tell me what you think so far overall without getting me a little spoilery for episode six, but what do you think overall of the season so far?
1: So my overall impression, I think one of the biggest things that I was sharing with people because I thought that it was a, a big criticism of the last couple seasons, especially season two was that a lot of people felt like it was getting into the torture porn territory. Um, and I felt like they really heard that criticism and they had dialed it back. Um, the, the ceremony seems to have gone by the wayside, not that it's not happening in Gilead, but that we're not seeing it, it's not, as far as we can tell, a part of June's life, um, and it's not something when it's happening to the other handmaids, we're not seeing that, we're not seeing salvagings. we're not seeing new and creative kinds of torture, um, there was no, like, that that opening scene of Benway, we're really not having that, it's not that scary things aren't happening anymore, but it's just not being shown in the same way, um, and so I think that that has made this an easier season to watch, even though there's still things that are heartbreaking to see on screen. It's, I think, just an easier thing to watch and enjoy, um, which I think is important for fans. So for people who were sort of debating whether to come back to this season, I know a lot of people when they heard that were happy to hear it. Um, For me, it feels like there's been a lot of great, really genuinely earned character moments. Um, Some of the things that have already happened between uh, June and Serena Joy, I like really never could have imagined earlier on in the series that we would have ever seen those two comforting one another or having those moments that the way that they've bonded uh, over Nicole's absence. I just never thought that we ever would have seen that. And it did feel like they earned that. It felt like whatever they may or may not trust each other in other moments, like they they really have come to this point where they both have that love for that girl. that baby um and that was pretty amazing to see so it's i really i live for character driven stuff and that felt really real to me so i've i've enjoyed that sort of thing
0: yeah i would say that my my wife watched the first season and that was probably her main criticism even you know i think last season it definitely started towing that line of torture porn for sure and i was glad to see this season, where they did dial it back and did, as you said, made it more character-driven. Um, it's been interesting to see the reaction to that because there's been I've seen you know fleeting things here or there about it. Oh, it's boring, and how people are like, oh, "What are we doing?" And I don't know. That's I think that's just some people like the violence, some people like getting into the darkness that much, and some people don't. And so I think it's been an interesting because it is such kind of a stark difference. Where you're not seeing all those things happening. I mean, I mean the most blatant, uh, obvious one I can think of is when June goes back to the red center and you see them open the door where they're obviously going to beat her feet, which you see later because her feet are torn up, but they don't show it. Um, where in past, you know, seasons they would have gone out of their way to show that. Uh, and so I, I've, I've been totally on board with the decisions they have made because I think it. It lets them do the best thing that they do, which is let their actors act and let their writers write. Because when they do that, the show is amazing. Um, And I think they have all those things in spades. So I've been really happy with the direction of the season so far.
1: Right. And we did have like some really, I mean, the moments between Janine and Lydia were pretty heart wrenching. I mean, you can't watch that and not feel intensely. So you can still have these emotional depths without and and there was actually an element of violence there, but it it just didn't feel quite as gratuitous, right? Um, and it felt like it came organically, like that felt like something that that made sense within the story, as opposed to feeling like a brand new thing that the writers were sitting around being like, "So what can we do to these poor people now?" You know, right. it just felt like something that that made sense. Uh, the other thing is just like I love Bradley Whitford; I've been a huge fan of his for a long time. Um, and I think that he's just a great actor. And then also that character, I think he's one of the more, like the men of Gilead in general are are usually just sort of these strange power brokers and they're, they're just obstacles. Like you have Luke up in Canada, who is sort of different and interesting. And you have Nick who, who is interesting, but then the rest of the men are just sort of like problems that everyone else has to sort of deal with. But then you have this commander Lawrence who is just such a wild card and you really don't know what you're going to get out of him. And I think that he is this sort of mystery that June has to solve. And I really enjoyed that element of you just, you never know what you're going to get with him. And it, it is clear that there's some, there's some animating reason within him that we just don't know yet. Like there's gotta be, there's some inner logic to him. There's more to his story that we don't know yet. And I'm looking forward to figuring that out. Um, but I I think he's added a lot to the show.
0: I agree. I think uh, that character is just fascinating because they're intentionally keeping you on your toes and off balance with him. And so it's I'm fascinated because I still have no idea what I truly really think about him. I'm kind of leaning. I don't know. It's from episode to episode. It changes because you know, he's done all these terrible things, but you see in like this episode where he's truly seems remorseful and, you know, empathetic to what june is going through calling luke on the phone uh to canada and after that situation he offers her the handkerchief and everything he's doing in that scene seems authentic and genuine doesn't seem put on Um, whereas before you know he puts on the show when all the commanders come over there and that whole episode and those first two you just i think they're intentionally keeping you off base as his character is that's the way it's written um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I don't really understand it yet. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting. I'm fascinated by him, but he's awesome. And uh, again, I think this season has really let the actors shine and kind of do all the things that we have seen them do in, you know, long spurts throughout the first two seasons, you know, while also having to worry about whose, you know, face was getting chopped off next or whatever. Uh, So it's nice to kind of just be able to get into the groove and really watch a character-driven show, like you were saying. So um, before we get in too far, we do have a couple things I want to catch up on. So we've we've had some interesting conversations on this podcast. Um, And I wanted to catch you up so that you could get your input on all these. Um, So first, let's talk about narwhals.
2: Are
0: Are you... now I need to know A did you know that narwhals now I know you know because I I have a, a I have a, a feeling that I know you know. Uh did you know that narwhals were real? Yes. How long have you known?
1: I mean definitely at least since um the movie
0: Elf. <laughs> I love that Elf is the is like the hallmark for people <laughs> for
1: I mean narwhal, I mean, narwhal uh, <laughs> but like I want to I feel like I saw it happen in that movie and someone went wait is that real and I think I already knew the answer yeah but I I have a two-year-old niece and she has like a ton of clothes with narwhals on them and like we had to explain to multiple adults I'm 30 and we had to explain to multiple adults who are quite a bit older than me in her life that narwhals are real
0: so wow. funny it's been fascinating and the reaction to, we've gotten to this on social media like people saying yeah i didn't know they were real either or people being like oh i they are real i'm gonna go buy some books for my kids now and, like, just it's, it's,
1: it's like a, it's a, the unicorn of the sea it's it's magic like, it like, is. you see them like on her clothes my niece's clothes they're like often sparkly so like that makes them seem less real and if right. you've only seen them on elf like that yeah they're animation looking
0: yeah. Yes, it's it's just been hilarious, and that story was Sarah. And just the main thing that about that story, which I don't know if you heard it, but basically her husband was talking about narwhals, and she basically tore him down and made him not believe that they were real anymore. And, oh,
1: they, and I, just you know for recreational purposes. But,
0: it, but what fascinated about me is that Sarah is younger than me by you know probably five or six years, and. I feel like that generation is like the instant Google generation. Like all of your arguments can be solved by the IMDB app or a Google search. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, like month. It went on for a month. It was amazing. It's the best story ever. I love it. Uh, Our next conversation we had was about children's books last week. This was totally random. I don't remember how it came up. Um, So we were discussing children's books that we loved growing up. And I named off a few mine, Pokey Little Puppy. Uh, Miss Nelson is missing, which some people gave me a shout out on for because other people had no idea what I was talking about. Uh, but uh, what about you? What What are your go to kids books when you were a kid? Your favorites from your childhood?
1: Um, one that I loved a lot, my brother and I used to read was *Jamberry*, which is like you basically go to a land. It's like this guy, it's a child and and a bear, and there's just like all different kinds of berries, and they like they ice skate on the berries and they eat the berries. Um, Robert McCloskey is a New England writer and so he did Blueberries for Sal and Make Way for oh, Duckling. So that's a good one. You have to read like all of those that's an obligation. Yes. Um, I actually was just my brother um, he went to a public school that spoke fr- French um, so I was actually just reading to my niece his books so as a kid like my brother would read books in French to me so we read Georges Carrier. And we were just reading another little book that was like these two gorillas who are friends, and it's all in French. And so I'm like reading to my niece, and to her it's like all equally nonsensical, like because she doesn't know <laughs> the words anyway.
0: Yeah, two-year-olds don't know.
1: Yeah, so like that's we would read that kind of stuff, and *Esarhix* and Obelix and yeah, so half of our, my little kid books were in French anyway. That's um, awesome. And then there was like a book about birds i have to look up what the what the name of it was but this guy who flies this faraway land with birds and then it turns out like it's actually like sort of a hotel california situation where he realizes the birds are actually former people who stayed in that land too long and became birds and then he's like oh no and it's like him and his dog it's like he and his dog definitely need to escape that land whoa yeah that was trippy for a kid's book yeah Uh, no kidding yeah, I have to figure out what book that is. That's, uh, that's a,
0: interesting. Yeah, uh,
1: we're household, so
0: I, I love kids' books. That's amazing. Uh, you see, that's why I like you. I was going to bring something different. French books and the one where people turn into birds. That's creepy. It's not yeah. as creepy as Pinocchio where they turn into donkeys, but creepy enough. Um, okay, now, breakfast cereals. We, oh, had no. it, we had a large discussion about breakfast cereals. A, are you a person who can eat the recommended serving size of breakfast cereal? And B, what is your go-to cereal?
1: Um, I was definitely a fill a giant bowl. (laughs) Um, I also, as a kid, I was a mixer. So I would put many flavors of cereal together um, and eat them all with milk. My brother hated milk and he would get mad and he would go in the other room because he could not listen to me eat cereal. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um. He does not know, so hopefully he doesn't listen to this podcast, that we feed his child cereal with milk yes. <laughs> because he hates it so much. Um, but I I was not allowed to eat sugary cereal at, at my house. Uh, so I would go to my aunt and uncle's house and eat all the good cereal there. Like at my parents' house, it was like kicks and like oh, yeah. nut Cheerios. And like cinnamon life was a real treat. If we were like being really good on a rare occasion, we could have cinnamon life. Uh, but then like I would go elsewhere and it was all like I loved cinnamon toast crunch and like really the good thing was french toast crunch which oh was just, yeah what amazing um but I, I love it all apple jacks um I mean lucky charms are like I eat lucky charms to this day uh Reese's puffs those are still real good I like I love it all I don't care it's all real good anything sugary but I, I still will also eat like the giant shredded wheat, like the big size, mm-hmm. those are really good too. But then I have to like cover it in some other more flavorful <laughs> thing so that it's not, and I'll put banana in there. Yeah.
0: There you so you mi- you were a mixer as a kid. So what was your favorite mix? What were the, what were your go-to mixes? What was the
1: really everything that was in my aunt and uncle's cabinet, like just <laughs> everything that was for kids and not for adults. And that was sugary. All, like I would put like five kinds.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I res- I, I, res- I We're better friends now. All right. Now, I need to know if you agree with me that the writers are, tro- are trolling us by naming,
1: <laughs> naming <laughs>
0: Commander Joey Lawrence Commander Joey Lawrence. I need to know.
1: Well, I found I, out I hadn't put this together and I can't believe I didn't because, I mean, blossom, awesome, man. Uh, I can't believe that I didn't put this together and then I saw you. I just saw... Joey Lawrence in your various Facebook posts. <laughs> oh my God. I love it so much.
0: Whoa. I, it was amazing. <laughs> like, I'm sitting there and they said they called him Joseph. And I was like, wait a minute. I mean, <laughs> he is not named Joseph Lawrence. This is not happening okay. right now.
1: Isn't Elizabeth Warren, isn't she technically Gen X? Like, isn't that the correct generation to know who Joey Lawrence is? Yes. I feel like uh, now I'm now I'm sad that I did not get the chance to interview her because I could have asked could have asked about Joey Lawrence. I could I should have asked him
0: I didn't Yeah. Know. <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
1: That yeah. not what I expect Bradley Whitford to necessarily know who Joey Lawrence
0: is. Well, oh, you know, he's been around for a while. He's one of those dudes. He's probably encountered a Joey Lawrence or two. He's probably had a run in with Joey. Yeah. Which by the way, um, kudos to all our people on social media on Facebook who posted copious amounts of Joey Lawrence pictures um
1: are people have have you gotten to the point yet where people are doing memes where they're like photoshopping Joey Lawrence into Handmaid's Tale scenes or like putting um I really want to see like text that Commander Joseph Lawrence has said over pictures of (laughs) Joey Lawrence from his other his roles like
0: I I think I I saw I saw one where they had uh, photoshopped his head in there, um, but not many. Uh, So I'm sure they're coming as as we continue to roll with the Commander Joey Lawrence nickname. I'm sure that we'll get more and more. Um, It was just interesting to see because basically I told people we're having a contest this week. All you had to do is post a picture of Joey Lawrence and then we're going to pick one at random from all the people that did it. And so just seeing the pictures that people chose, because I said, give me your favorite Joey Lawrence. Like, what era of Joey Lawrence did, is your Joey? Because, like, you know, he's been a child yeah. actor. Like, he was on Give Me a Break with No Carter when he was a super little kid. And then he had Blossom, obviously. And then later on, he did his whole, like, uh, with Melissa Joan Hart, Melissa yeah. and Joey. So it was just been... It, it, there's a lot of things I didn't know. Like, did you know, Delia Harrington, did you know that, A celebrity Chippendales are a thing and B, oh. that, jo- that Joey Lawrence was one.
1: I did, not know. I did not know where this was going at all. And no, I did not know either.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, so somebody, one of our one of our uh, Facebook friends posted it and she's like, I met Joey Lawrence. He was the celebrity Chippendale at a Chippendales event that I went to.
1: Like, I sort of didn't think that Chippendales were still a thing.
0: Oh, it's a thing. actually real. Actually, real. Not not only that, and I'll tell you why I know this, because I was looking at Eventbrite, which you know, Eventbrite does tickets and ticketing for many events, usually like training and education stuff and whatever. Well, there I was looking through there, and there were no less than I'd say six events that were not Chippendale branded, but were all like either a Magic Mike event, or there was like three of those, or like some other scantily clad dudes dancing half naked or fully naked uh, events, like all over the place in my hometown There
1: you
0: are. so yeah no it's real it's real it's happening i'm
1: looking at joey lawrence's imdb page brotherly love i remember that show oh yeah
0: oh man see there's that's the thing he's, he's cross-generational right he's, he's something for everybody for joey lawrence so other yeah. news and notes um i do have to give a shout out to uh cbc up in canada they they, they were, there was an article um, that Lise Hussein, I think I'm saying that correctly, wrote for CBC's website in Canada. Um, and the article was titled, How a Four-Hour Bevy of Podcasts Keep Me Sane Every Week While I Suffer Through the Handmaid's Tale. And it was basically, yeah, it's basically this author and the writer wrote about how she goes through all these podcasts and when she watches listens to them before and after um to either prepare for the episode or to come down after watching the episode because it's so you know triggering for people uh so we were mentioned in there and she did give a shout out and it says quote this one has a dude which is great because allies <laughs>
2: oh you, you love getting a good shout
0: out i do i, was, I appreciate it i appreciate it. it's nice to it's nice to be uh recognized you know every once in a while Um, Elizabeth Moss won an MTV movie award, our movie slash TV award. Did you know that? Did you, did you know those are still a thing? And did you know she won? I did know she won.
1: I I only knew it was still a thing because it started trending on Twitter. Um, yeah, I usually watch award shows. I did not even know that I should have been watching that one.
0: (laughs) Well, my favorite part was not that she won, but that the award she won was quote, best performance in a show.
1: There you go. It, it is in fact a show.
0: I, I was just like, really?
1: Avoiding <laughs> really calling it a TV show because television is relative now,
0: right? Like, I mean, it's
1: streaming is that what they Is that why it's weird? Are they trying to not say television?
0: I don't know. The whole thing is weird. Just best performance in a show. It's just is so like generic and strange and like. Water like dumbed down to the point of like barely being a thing that it just struck me as hilarious. That it's like, all right, what are we going to call this award? I don't know. Uh, best talking on the TV. No, can't do that. <laughs> best performance on a show. Yes, there you go. Like, I don't know. That's how I figured that marketing meeting went from MTV. <laughs> all right, last but not least, uh, I'm sure you know this Orphan Black. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Coming back as an audio series, which is super cool. Um, and I think speaks to, you know, the expansion of the uh, audio format as podcasts and more audio series. Like I think um, and I didn't know this until my buddy told me that Homecoming, which is a series on Amazon Prime, was also a podcast that uh, was awesome from what I've heard. I heard a lot of people that like the podcast audio story version better than did the actual show. And I like the show a lot. Uh, so it's interesting to see that these are kind of making a comeback. So I did a little uh, reading on this and it's set eight years after the end of the series uh, for Orphan Black and Tatiana Maslany will be reprising her role as the clones uh, for more clone like shenanigans.
1: Thank goodness. There's no Tat. And we, w- we would not be back. We <laughs> doing a show, which there might still be. Um, it was just like none, no Tatiana Maslany and none of the original show creators. And I was like, well, then it's just other clones. Right. Like, that um so did, did you know that there is another um that there's a Hulu show that this first uh battleground oh no i don't know watch battleground on hulu it was only there for one season i loved it a lot um and that went to an audio format maybe a year or two ago um but check out battleground on hulu it was a really great show and i'm sad that it didn't stick around for longer and you'll probably recognize some of the actors um they've gone on to do some interesting things well i know Uh, and at least i was just going to brag that at least one of them is from massachusetts oh
0: there you go well i know like with the homecoming um it was a fairly good cast like david schwimmer was in there i think Catherine o'hara was in there uh so it was it was they had some really a list you know b list kind of people doing it and from everything i've heard it's pretty awesome so i think there's going to be more of that happening it's been interesting to see like as podcasts get for like a better term like saturated because they're everybody's got one you know clearly um yeah. that people are kind of kind of like okay <laughs> the, <laughs> the podcast format has you know reached you know this peak here um, you know i have a buddy of mine that says you know i listen to my podcast all the time i kind of set up sick of them so i was listening to audiobooks which is the thing that i do all the time and so i think more of a storytelling type format is going to be a little bit uh, more in the forefront here so it's really interesting to see uh, major shows and major talent b- doing it. So I'm kind of excited about that. Now, Great. let's get into episode five. Yes, yeah. Because this, this episode, more so than the ones leading up to it, I think feels like a more of a classic season one or two kind of episode. It's still missing the violence, but still, um, they played that scary music at the end, and you knew some shit was about to go down.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was bad. So let's, let's kick it off at the top. We have uh, Luke protesting and with Nicole and we are kind of, it's kind of trailing from the end of uh, episode four and you get June with her voiceover talking about how she is safe and her being Nicole. Um, it's not a miracle and that, that she did this. And so she's talking about, you know, there's, there's several times in this episode where there's these juxtaposed things of people making decisions based on religion and you know talking about not doing that and so there's this interesting kind of conversation that's had throughout the episode about that um there's lots of flashbacks in this so it's an interesting um interesting episode uh june and of matthew who has uh, done her best to get on everyone's bad side in the last episode uh walking and she's talking about the she hopes luke returns hannah um so that that is an interesting way to start this episode uh then we we go to commander joey lawrence's house where commander joey's talking to his wife uh in kind of a touching moment where he's asking her if she did something different with her hair which is not a thing you've heard a lot of in uh, gilead thus far between the husbands and wives so june uh is asking commander joey if Luke is in any danger, to which he says they are all in danger. So talk to me about these couple opening scenes here. We've got uh, kind of a different side of Commander Lawrence, who up until this point, the interactions we've seen with his wife have been mostly just, do you want to go back to bed (laughs) trying to figure out how to hide her? What what have you taken from him in these couple scenes here?
1: I mean, I think it's the first sense that I think he does really love her. Um, And it sort of makes it seem like maybe... Him sending her back to bed is, is more about protecting her than about um, you know, it's not this idea that he's trying to like seclude her. He's not trying to like cage her in. He's trying to in some way keep the keep the world from her, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's there's this sense of compassion coming from him. Um, and it it almost feels like they've they've opened up in a way um I don't know it's its it does sort of complicate our view of him uh, and it yeah. makes it feel like maybe there's there's almost like a peek at what their life possibly might have been before Gilead of like or wherever you we've always had this sense that, Mrs. Lawrence, that there's something wrong with her, right? There's some sort of illness or something. Like, we're not, no one's really clear about what that is. And we don't also know as a result, like, has that always been the case? Did Gilead make it worse? Is she only worse because she suddenly can't get medicine? Like, what, we don't really know, like, what the timing is on that. But it sort of makes you think that maybe you have a glimpse of what before was like for them, whatever before means. Right. Whether that was in Iliad or way before she got ill or something.
0: Yeah, and, and we were having this debate last week as to whether is she really ill? Is she? Because it does seem like she's truly traumatized, you know, but there's these moments of clarity that she has, like when she helps June you know when the blood's on the wall and she makes sure that that they they don't walk in that room or they're you know she buries the starts putting the flowers over the buried body and things like that so there's these little moments of clarity that show you that she's not so far gone that she doesn't understand how to cope with some things
1: right I almost feel like she has like a reverse sundown or something because that night like she suddenly was like so lucid and so sharp and it's like I mean, the, the daytime one was um, her playing the flowers. That's really the only one that I can think of where in the day that she was like that. But I don't know. It, it was just so stark to see that all of a sudden when she appeared, when the blood was there, it was like, wow, who is this woman? Right. You know, you couldn't even recognize her. That, that was pretty fascinating to me. But it is, I don't know. It, it's so far been incredibly difficult to try and pin down what this could possibly be.
0: Yeah. So this next scene kind of got set up last week when, you know, June... Has a conversation with Fred about letting Serena have some semblance of power and a voice in her in in the marriage, if nowhere else in Gilead, because obviously that with Fred's status kind of on the way down uh, is not going to happen. Uh, so this week uh, we get this scene with Serena and Rita, um, and they're getting ready to go to what I call the Commander Command Center, cool. uh, <laughs> where they've invited Serena there to discuss uh what they want to do about the nicole situation because they found out that she's in canada with luke they've confirmed that that's who luke is um and you walk, they go into this room which to me and i i have you ever seen doctor strange love yes this scene reminded me of the the uh, the, the table the giant round table in doctor strange love yeah so i thought that was a if that wasn't a nod it was very it was very coincidental but So, there's a lot of things we learn here, right? There's they've offered, they've, we overhear them saying they've offered a complaint to Canada to petition for Nicole's return. They don't have an extradition treaty because I think that was part of what Fred was supposed to be working on last season when they went up to Canada and that didn't go so well. Um, And then Serena starts asking about Luke and asking what he's like out of a genuine, what seems like heartfelt, wanting to know who has what she perceives as her child um, and what he's like. And so I found a couple of interesting things here where they say he worked at in Sussex in the office of urban planning, which I thought was kind of an Obama nod for, for lack of a better thing. I was like, that's just a weird coincidence of things to put in there. And then that he works currently as a part-time construction and utility work. So I may be completely off on the Obama thing. I just thought it was funny that the urban planning was what Luke did. And just, there's a lot of you know correlations there. I was just going
1: to say, my biggest thing here was that, so At the end of the last episode, when we see the video and June sees it, my first thought is, oh, God, June is dead. (laughs) And I can't imagine that I'm the only one who thought this way. Uh, When they figure out it, I thought, "Okay, it's only a matter of time before they figure out who Luke is. Then they figure out who Luke is. How is no one saying obviously June is complicit? Like already. Waterford. Commander Waterford had to lie through his teeth to make it seem like his household had nothing to do with this. Then find out that the baby ends up with Luke. Like how is Gilead not just being like, yeah, so she should definitely die. Like this is one of those moments. One of the criticisms I've heard this season is that it is straining the credibility of why is June alive. And I have no problem with the idea that like, okay, she gets smarter. She gets lucky. She builds up allies those things do all happen and those can all happen. But this is a moment where I'm just like, yeah, the show's not giving us any real plausible explanation for why. Like when Waterford defends them, that makes sense to me as a character move that he sees his household as a thing he has to defend. But this, like, I don't understand why there's not even a, a moment where they write in a line of someone of like, Oh, Fred has to clean up this mess of explaining again, that June has nothing to do with it or something like it's weird that no one questions that Luke has this baby.
0: That's very true. I did not think about that at all. I got to be honest with you. And I don't know if it's just because they have to play through the fact that they've said that Emily took the baby and that, you know, that was the story they gave. I don't know. It's like, even within the commander ranks, you're right. I, they, why that hasn't come up as being, you know, something that anybody said is very strange. I'm glad you brought that up, but I didn't even think about it. Um, But we get to an interesting thing here where Fred kind of swoops in and does a very sweet thing, like an actual smart Fred thing, which are very rare and few and far between. Uh, He swoops in and starts talking about Nicole's details about her height and her weight and uh, that she has a tooth and he kind of gives Serena the file and you see the, you know, the footprints of the baby, which, again, lends credence to my, my thought that there's got to be some Gilead people planted in Canada because otherwise I don't know how they're getting this information.
1: Yeah. There could be, there certainly could be spies which like most countries have spies. If you're a developed country an advanced country, you have a network of spies and, or countries are cooperating with one another on a level, even if they're not admitting it. Um, So that's another thing to consider is that like, even if these countries say that they're not explicitly helping one another, they might be doing like a favor here and there to try to grease the wheels. Interesting. Um, So I don't know. And maybe we'll, I don't know. Like, I wonder, I wonder if like, what, what's his face up in Canada who wants to woo Serena away? Like, would he be willing to slip a file to someone? If that means Uh, that then later he gets, he gets to be the one who greets her on the plane you know what i mean like what would would you trade in order to have some access to someone later
2: yeah
1: that makes sense just like from my like very basic international relations poli-sci background like those are the kinds of things that countries do for one another um to make stuff happen but yeah i totally think that they they have people who are sympathetic to them
0: sure i I think it, it has to be uh so So there is this conversation about what Fred asking Serena what she wants. And Serena just wants to be with her baby, which she says is impossible. And then she says, I just want this to be over, which is an interesting thing. And I wrote down, what the fuck does that mean? Because, you know, you never know with her character, like where that is going to end up. Uh, Like right now, we're feeling some level of sensitivity and sympathy for her. And she seems genuinely heartbroken and seems like she's trying to play ball with June and doing the right things, you know, feeling how she should be about Gilead and the way they treat women there, but you you just never know. So that seemed like an odd thing to say at the end of this, like, what does that mean for it to be over?
1: Yeah. I think that those kinds of lines are exactly how Serena ends up being this character where you never know where she's going to land because yeah, ultimately she just wants it to be over. And if someone can come to her and present her with the solution mm-hmm. And that solution is, okay, you get your baby and we're going to turn the entire world upside down and you're going to screw June over it. Then she'll be like, cool. And if someone is like, oh, we'll get you, you know, this whole thing will be done and you'll get your baby. And also Gilead will be in shambles at your feet. She'll be like, great. You know, so like there's so many, I think that she has her priorities and she kind of doesn't really care about anything else, which is how a lot of people are. But I don't know. I think that that's part of, what makes her ultimately a wild card is that like, we've figured out that Nicole is now her priority.
0: Right. It's the baby Um, at all costs basically.
1: Right. And so like at the end of last season, that turned into like making the baby safe. And she was willing to understand that that meant getting the child out of, out of Gilead. Um, Will she continue to feel that way? We'll see.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of, a lot of series left. Cause I believe, do you know how many, I have not looked. Do you know how many total episodes there are this season?
1: 13, I believe.
0: Okay. That's what I thought. So we're almost halfway there, which is so strange to think about.
1: Right. Um, I want to go back briefly. I think it was at the very beginning of the episode um, at, when they were at Lowe's and Fishes and all the handmaids were coming up to June and like touching her arm and her forearm and her elbow and just like saying praise be to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that it was a very small moment, but I thought it was really powerful um, of just all of them congratulating her basically on the fact that she got her daughter out. Yeah, And it's, it's really the only dream of a handmaid is get their child free. And just like that, this one victory for her is a victory for all of them. Um, I just thought that that was this really powerful, amazing thing. Um, and just an interesting insight into the handmaids that like, In the past, there's sort of been this opaqueness to them of you didn't know who was on which side and what and who believed what. And I think to an extent that's still true. But there's sort of this idea now that like, regardless of what they may think about anything else, as far as we can tell, this seems like the anonymous masses of handmaids all agree that they want their kids to be free.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I thought I think there's a little voiceover there where she's talking about, you know, they could hate me they could totally resent me for the fact that I got Nicole out of here, but they've come to embrace her and understand that that is what the ultimate goal, like you said, of all the handmaids is, uh, is to get their child out of this situation. So yeah, no, you're, you're right. That was a great, great moment. Um, so now let's get to the next episode, which is Fred and Serena come to visit June. Like you do, they just pop in. Um, and one of my favorite parts of this scene is that they tell her that they wanted to call Luke, right? And they said, you have our word. And I'm like, really? At this point, is, that, is anybody, even June, like, can anybody uh, at any point, any character in this show look at you and go, you have my word. Like, who trusts anyone in this show? I can't even believe that they, they, they would say that out loud. Yeah, it is
1: a little absurd. It also just feels so silly of, like, this is the world's, world's weirdest throuple like these people are so <laughs> enmeshed in one another's lives but also like within the bounds of gilead these three people are not supposed to spend time together anymore and like obviously for us as viewers we're like fred serena and june is like such a weird vibe and we want to keep seeing it but like no you guys can't hang out anymore like you're done now right it's, the rules as we saw like with Janine like no you can't still be together um and you know for story reasons they need to be thrown together and then obviously like with the concern of Nicole they they have a reason to be but it's just like this strange thing of like they sort of need to justify and I think that both Serena and Fred even if it weren't for the baby I think that they in their own way each are drawn to June and like they all kind of all three of them kind of fucked each other up uh, I think that if it wasn't for the Nicole drama, I still think that they would find themselves longing for her and wanting to like find a reason to be near her. I don't know. It's the whole thing is super weird. They have it is, such- it is yeah.
0: super weird. And I said this uh, after the first couple episodes, I was like, they're kind of embracing their soapiness this year um, yeah. with that. You know, it, it is very like daytime <laughs> to kind of soap opera stuff with that. Cause even, but they do set it up well. So they, they don't make, a ton of things baseless. So I believe last episode, June, when they're at the, the baptism is looking at Fred and saying, I should hate him, but I don't, it's more complicated than that, which is interesting because that's, you know, that's an authentic feeling and a real thing, which is interesting for that character. Because I said a couple episodes ago, it was like, these are two people that just like literally came to blows and were knocking the crap out of each other. And then all of a sudden, they're like having these like civil conversations. You know, both of them have an angle. Uh, I think June knows hers better than Fred does. <laughs> Fred is just trying yeah. to desperately figure out how to get his wife back on his side. But
1: no, he is not the intellectual powerhouse. It's the women here. And like he also exists.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so
1: not, He would not really be competing at the level that he is.
0: No. And so it's just fascinating to me that all of a sudden they come back and they're like, uh, they're like speaking to each other and everything's okay but you know i suppose with these three characters that nothing will surprise me at this point of whatever happens um so we get serena and june alone because at first june is like i decline your word i do not take it um <laughs> and so serena is like all right give me a minute and talks her into this but um june says wh- she asks june what she wants she says i want you to owe me which is a really good play, I thought. That was a pretty smart move because, you know, you don't ask for anything outright. You don't go with your your first instinct there, and you're just going to say, I want you to owe me so that you can just cash it in for whatever the hell you want later. I thought that was pretty brilliant. Yeah. Um. So we do go, and I said, scene five, secret, secret squirrel phone call time. So it's like this total, like, Cold War era, you know, yeah. <laughs> briefcase phone with the computer in it and the whole nine yards. I'm like, what is happening right now?
1: Well, it's like because they have to pretend that they don't have any technology right like that's part of the thing of Gilead is like nobody has cell phones everything's fine we all just use like quills and shit but it's like okay but we know that you have the stuff
0: right so. yeah so it's just very interesting to see how when you when you do see the stuff like the drones in the first episode when Nicole or when Emily is crossing the river you're like oh they do have things that's good to know and you know it doesn't yeah. surprise me that that's how they deploy the the majority of their technology is you know to make sure terrible things happen to other people. Um, but this was just very interesting to see this, like, total, like, military-style spy phone call. Um, it reminded me, and I don't know, you may, because you are in the Boston area, and Marky Mark is a Boston guy. Um, and somebody out there, I hope, has seen this movie. There's a movie called The Big Hit that Marky Mark did a long time ago. Um, that one. You missed that one? Oh, I'll tell you what. Of all the movies he's done, it, it's, it's funny. It's like an action comedy, you know, not that he's never done one of those before. But... Um, there is a scene and Lou Diamond Phillips is also in this movie. He's fantastic. Um, cause he plays this total bizarro character and they're trying to call somebody on the phone, but they don't want to get it traced. So they bring in this guy who's got this thing called a trace buster. And <laughs> what they end up doing is they're like, I got a trace buster. I got a trace buster, buster. And for this, I got a trace buster, buster, buster. And they keep going down the line. It's ridiculous. Um, so that's what this reminded me of is that scene where they're busting out the trace busters, but now we have to get to the emotional part, which is Luke and June's phone call. Um, so two minute phone call, because I guess it's going to get traced. I don't know. I didn't really understand the significance yeah, of
1: that. Was my guess. So I assumed the tracing too, but no one ever explained it, which I thought was unhelpful just from a narrative standpoint. <laughs> yes. Um, my thought afterwards, based on the way that they kept looking at her was that I think they were trying to prevent June from having the time to deliver any sort of subterfuge Mm -hmm. message.
0: Yeah, that could be. I did Or just
1: assholes and like not letting her talk to her husband. I don't know. But yeah, it would have been nice. Throw us a bone, writers. Most of the time you're great. Just, you know, help us out
0: very true uh i did uh, my favorite part of this this scene one of my favorite things was that luke declines the on the phone call from the unknown caller which is totally real like i don't know who you people are out there that answer those phone calls in the first ring from unknown callers my wife is one of those people she's just like why don't you answer it I'm like because i don't know who that is why would i answer that phone call uh but i thought that was a very real like real life moment everyone can relate to like unknown caller hell no voicemail <laughs> and so so we proceed with this touching phone call between Luke and Jude and Luke appropriately is flipping out because he obviously hasn't talked to her in whatever number of days slash years. We're not really sure um, how long it's been. Um, And so she explains to him that he needs to take Nicole to the Toronto airport, um, which Luke is like, what the fuck you want me to do (laughs) for real? Um, And I did like Luke having enough wherewithal to be like, don't send Fred just her which I thought was awesome because I don't know what would have happened if Fred and Luke or Fred and Luke would have gotten in the same room together.
1: Yeah. I mean, so as far as Luke knows, Fred is the father of that baby. Right. Um, also regardless of, of what, of any parentage, Fred is the rapist of his wife. Uh, he doesn't know that Serena also helped, um, but, you know, there's also not a lot he can do about that. One of them's coming anyway. So Fred is definitely the bigger the bigger person for him to be pissed at about that. Also, there's the reality that, like, Fred is a military commander and Serena's not. Uh, so, yeah, I I get it. Fuck Fred, man. Like, Fred's <laughs> not. Um, I, I just couldn't get over June's face during that phone call. Like, yeah. I know some people are like, oh, yeah, we get a lot of close-ups of Liz with was with Massa's face i'm like yeah but this is one of those times where like dude her face during that of people they're all staring at her this whole thing about her and like she has to tell him to do this thing and that it's a good idea that like you know she knows this is not a good idea
2: right
1: you know he obviously is like doesn't think it's a good idea and is like are you safe and she has to pretend that she is and like oh do you think this is a great idea no of course not like none of these things are true but she just has to tell him to do it because this is what she has to do and it's Gilead. Um, I don't know. I thought that was that was a great performance out of everybody. Yeah, the, it was, you know, Lawrence offering that handkerchief was
0: uh an
1: interesting moment for him too.
0: Yes, and so there's a number of things that June declines in this. She declines to take their word for it. She declines his handkerchief, she declines Serena's God bless you as she's walking out of the room. Um, uh, which is one of uh, several God bless you, uh seemingly misdirected and inappropriate i would say from serena because i don't know that she knows what else to say to people um uh june declines her god bless you and then goes to her room and i can't really tell what she's doing in this moment i don't know if it's one of those things where you're just like clenched fists standing there deeply breathing trying to keep your shit together or if she was having this moment of like prayer or what it was but she was definitely standing there uh trying to my estimation was somewhere between praying and trying to keep her mind from exploding
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look at it again. Um, I I mean, June does pray. We see her pray in this in the show um, and we see her pray this season, um, which I actually that's one of the things that I enjoy is that they they do show her and others being religious, because one of the points of the book and the show is that, like, it's not that religion is bad. It's that religious fanaticism is bad. Yes because I think that that is a, a worthwhile and that like no there's plenty of religious people who actually did good things and that helped and were part of the resistance um, but yeah I, I can't remember specifically what I thought she was doing in this moment
0: uh, we get this super short scene between Moira and Luke where Moira asks you know how did she sound and he said she sounded like June um, and then it's on to June and Commander oh go ahead sorry
1: no I'm just saying I want more Moira always Yeah.
0: Yeah, everybody wants more I I agree. I I I thought there was some really good stuff with her in the first couple episodes. So hopefully we'll keep getting more of her. Um, I have a feeling we're gonna get more of Canada as this season goes on, just with the way this episode ended specifically. But uh, so June and Commander Joey's wife, uh, <laughs> her. her now I don't know if the wives have a book of things that they say to the handmaids like a stock like script, but how are you holding up? Would not have been like my go to for a handmaid in general let alone a handmaid that you know just had to call her husband in Canada to tell them to take her child to the airport to see Serena so but that
1: doing her best though like at least she actually I do think that Mrs. Lawrence is a nice person Yep. Yeah. like I think she's trying whereas like Serena uh, how are you holding up from Serena is like there's nine out of ten she's actually trying to poison you right now you know <laughs>
0: so true so true um so commander joey we find out through this conversation she was asking june kind of inquires about commander joey and how he was prior to the gilead situation and his wife we find out talks about that he made mixtapes which i could not be more excited about i was like oh we get commander joey mixtapes i'm so pumped um And so June asks if she ever listens to them and she says, I miss the man that made them, which is a fantastic line. That was great. I love that whole scene right there. Um, And I I love June's thing, like, too, where she continues this thread that she kind of went on a similar tangent with um, Eden last year. Talking about, I guess, when she was trying to decide whether to run away with Isaac, I believe the guy's name was, where she's like, I think it's okay to take a sliver of someone and hold on to it, especially if that's all you have. Once again, trying to, you know, tell you, you know, in this terrible, horrible place, you know, if you've got a sliver of something that you remember from him that is redeeming and that you love, you need to hold on to that, because obviously there was something there of that man and that it might still be there. So she continues to have that consistency of a thread with other people. Um, And I think in her life, too, which we'll see later with Luke, uh, which I think is very nice from her to still have that.
1: Um, I think it's amazing that you brought up Eden and Isaac, because I think that the show has forgotten that they ever existed, um, <laughs> which is
0: unfortunate.
1: Uh, I love that his I don't know if you'd noticed the label on the tape, but it says Studio 54 mix.
0: Oh, no, uh, I saw one that was like mixtape. I forget what they even word, but there was some other word that was after it. Yeah, they were funny names. Uh,
1: the song that comes on is, You Make Me Feel Like Dancing. And just, I don't know about you, but I pictured Bradley Whitford in some sort of bell-bottoms and or leisure suit. And I got real excited about the whole situation. <laughs> and Mutton Chops, like, yeah. And just like the two of them, just disco dancing.
0: That would have been, been an amazing cheesy flashback that we would have got. Like those two, are, like disco dancing to leo sayer you make me feel like dancing with mutton chops and a big leisure suit that would have been awesome yeah
1: really into it
0: all right so next scene serena is packing for her trip to canada uh rita brings her breakfast and serena sews her what i guess is like a brooch or a pin or i can't really tell what it was so obviously It's obviously something that says i prayed for her or something like that i couldn't really it was too quick for me to see um and then Rita gives her these what looks like letters, but I think later on turns out to be the tapes um, for Luke. Uh, and Serena stuffs them in all of her stuff. Uh, that's really all there is. It's nice to see uh, highly underutilized. After being kind of the hero of the day uh, season last year, we get to, we've get we gotten very, very little, little of Rita. So I hope we get more of her as we go along. I just don't know what there is for that character this season. Yeah.
1: Um, um, where do you think her mother lives?
0: Well, oh, that's a good question. Now, see, you're a North, you're a Northeasterner. Yeah. So, I mean, I know in the book, like Maine is where like all of the things went down and in obviously the show, Boston is where we're at. And so you tell me, is it, you thinking like a Nantucket kind of deal? Like I'm just, you know, I'm using the most cliched Northeastern yeah, things that I know.
1: In the book, it goes down in the same place. It's in Cambridge as well. Um, and Maine is where they found the tapes. And so ah. they, that she went on the underground female road and then was like hiding in a safe house in Maine when she made the tapes and, or brought them with her and that that's where they were like lost and that that's, that they recovered them there. Um, Yeah. So I was debating like maybe her mom's down the Cape. Maybe she's, maybe she could be up in Maine. Yeah. Nantucket could be possible, but yeah, it's gotta be like somewhere in new England on the water. Cause it seems like pretty fast that she gets there.
0: Yeah. she's, She's not too far. That's for sure yeah they they
1: do not film most of this in new england there's been there's a couple of scenes like one of the first or second episode where they all go across that bridge Mm -hmm. there's like iconic bridges in boston and i'm like man this would have been so much more powerful on a real bridge really here bummer Uh, and there's sometimes where they like want to take the tea and i'm like but there's no tea there but then (laughs) there's other times where like there's an episode where Moira talks about gay clubs in Somerville and I got really excited. So.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. and so I, I, I did mention earlier, but Delia is from Boston. So the show, you know, being very Boston heavy uh, is a delight for her. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. one, th- one thing I do have to mention because yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if you're a hockey fan.
1: Yes, it is. It has been very, it was very sad here when that happened.
0: It was very, the opposite here.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm aware. Uh,
0: um, I did. I didn't want to bring it up because I'm not that guy. And we, you know, it took us 52 years to win the Stanley Cup.
1: Don't be mad about a team winning their first
0: their first cup. It's
1: you know good for you guys. So
0: so yeah, we got we do we do have that rivalry here. But I was I was keeping it classy. I wasn't going to bring it up. But I I felt like we we had to mention it. Um, and I just want to know: Has Brad Marchand stopped crying yet?
1: <laughs> that is an excellent question. I do not know. I. Uh... I'll have to find out. My aunt, my my aunt and uncle work at the garden. I mm-hmm. uh, have a little bit, but they, they had quite a good time. They were very sad that it didn't win, but they enjoyed their time in the postseason. So I'll have to ask them next time they see them.
0: Well, I enjoyed it very much, as did the 1.5 million people that were at the parade in the rally on Saturday. So <laughs> I would okay, say well, let's see.
1: Only one parade? Come on.
0: Hey, hey, you know, you know we, it, it, it's been a Long time. Long- those this year see you boston people you just gotta just <laughs> the worst. man oh man okay i'm moving away it, it, I, I will have to say it's hard to feel sorry for brad marchand a guy who actually i'm not making this up for those of you who are not hockey fans licked a guy uh <laughs> in a hockey game licking was funny Yeah, it's just funny it's super funny right when he's on your team
1: um, it, he it reminded me of avery avery's rule <laughs>
0: Sean Avery. Are we having a Sean Avery conversation?
1: We are. Oh, my. A
2: bit.
0: That's hilarious. That's a different topic for another day. Because Sean Avery, in spite of all the things Brad Marchand has done, he's on another level. Yes. Yes. Super super special guy. All right. So Serena goes to the airport and flies what I refer to as Extreme Coach. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I cannot be the only one that was super excited to see Treason and Coconuts guy back super excited uh serena promptly tells the johnny guardian guy to fuck off uh so the treason and coconuts guy so i think she's got a little bit of a thing for if i'm being honest um escorts her to the uh to the airport
1: i also thought that she was going to do you remember last time she was up in canada and she thought that the itinerary was going to be in writing and then instead it was pictures i really thought that she was going to like find like a newspaper or a like a tabloid as soon as humanly possible i really thought she was just gonna be like give me the written word <laughs> her finger like scared her off that but yeah i think she's got a little bit of a crush on captain freedom pants
0: i <laughs> freedom pants that's great uh yeah no i have to agree and you know he's a fairly good looking dude handsome as he is i think you know they weren't gonna send like some had- joe Schmo schlub guy to meet serena so
1: yeah they know what they're doing
0: uh, so Serena is wearing regular clothes, which I think cannot be understated. Uh, it, I, I got, You got to feel like Yvonne Strahovski was like, oh, my God, I get to wear clothes like I would wear in normal life. Yeah. So that was just fascinating to me to like be like, oh, yeah, I forgot what you actually look like with normal hair and and, and a sweater and just looking like a person. Uh, you wonder how that has to feel for her after God yeah. only knows how long of being in the Gilead, you know, uniform. Uh, so Serena again extends a handshake to Luke. Luke declines, <laughs> and Luke, Serena offers her first or her her next "God bless you," to which Luke is like, "Uh, fuck you."
1: <laughs> he was smart out for a public place, though.
0: Yes, he was. Luke. Uh, Luke did the. the uh, Captain Freedom Pants as we've now called him uh, did mention that Luke would like or Luke requested a more public place which I think speaks a lot to Luke and we're tr- we're, we're finally seeing that Luke has some has the brain and he's working at it and he's trying to figure it out so that's great um, he promptly tells Serena to fuck off which I think speaks for most of the fandom of you know The Handmaid's Tale and Serena has come bearing gifts and Luke is really deciding this whole time whether to even talk to her look at her or do anything and they have this conversation about what Serena's role is going to be or like Serena's part in Nicole's story, because Serena seems to think that she deserves a part in the story. And Luke has some really great lines in this, you know, firing back at her about, yeah, what was your husband's role in that in this story? What, his, what should his part be? And this is just a really well written scene um, with them not going too over the top on either side where Serena not like a blubbering mess and Luke's not, you know, firing off ridiculous insults or going totally rage on her. Um, they are really two people who are trying to figure out how to deal with each other in this situation where neither of them really want anything to do with the other one. They just want the baby to be okay.
1: I love that um, Serena could have out of spite or even pretending that it was, that she thought it was the right thing to do. She could have told Luke um, who Nicole's dad, biological dad is, yeah. and she did not. And I thought that that was the right move. I also think it makes her a more complicated character that she made that right move. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know. I think it just makes it harder for the audience to hate her a little bit. Um, And then also, like, it made me think, too, about, like, Nicole actually does have a lot of parents, if you think about it. So, like, June, obviously, Nick is her father. But now, like, Luke is raising her and Moira is raising her. And then, like, June does truly think of Serena as being a mother and that, like, by making that sacrifice, as she said, like, only a mother could make that sacrifice. And then, like in theory, Fred is her father, because Gilead thinks he is, but, like, no one in reality thinks that Fred is her father, but, like, that's a lot of parents for one child to have, and, like, everybody except for Fred, like, has a really pretty legitimate, um, claim to that, you know, that kind of parenting, and I think that's a a pretty amazing way of looking at things, and in a, in a just world, this would not be a cause for discord, this would be, like, okay, many people love this child and they're all going to love this child. But of course, this is, you know, handmade stale, So it's not going to go like that. But <laughs> it's, it's a pretty interesting thing to look at.
0: Uh, so at this point, uh, Serena plays the I need you to know I protected your wife card, which Luke is like, uh, excuse me, um, and doesn't really know what to make of that. And you can tell he's like right at the breaking point. So Captain uh, Freedom Pants, as we've dubbed him, uh, decides to break up this meeting. And so a couple things happen here. And this is, I think, this sometimes happens with this show. And we talked to Bruce Miller and he mentioned, you know, sometimes editing choices are made and that sometimes how things end up in places doesn't always make sense. So we know that she had the tape that she made for Luke, which is what we find out that is later. Uh, But we knew that there was a package that Serena was supposed to give. Uh, And I thought when she was walking back, she had it. But she also had a cell phone. Um, I didn't know what to make of any of that, like, cause Luke ends up with the tape slash package somehow, but we don't know how he got it. We don't know who gave it to her cause we never see Serena give it to her unless I missed something. Um, and we don't know what the phone's for unless it's for captain freedom pants. And so I was very confused as to how all that went down and what happened. Do you have any insight on that?
1: Yeah. So here was my read of it. I saw, when you see the phone, I saw her wind up with a radio that says a note with a note that says, if you need me. And I interpreted that as being like a sat phone, okay. like, not like a, not like a cell phone, but like a satellite phone so that she could, wherever she was in Gilead at any time, turn it on and contact him and be like, yo, I'm turning trader. Come get me. I'm ready to join Canada. Okay. Um, and so that was from Captain Freedom Pants to her. And so that I read as like an intentional, we were not supposed to have seen her get it. He may have snuck it into her bag. Like that was supposed to be a right. mysterious providence kind of situation. And we were just supposed to infer how that arrived. The bundle, the um the tape I thought was more confusing because there were so many steps missing. So we never saw how it got to rita which i think was supposed to preserve the mystery of what it actually was but also never saw it get from serena to luke so like i thought it was another bundle of letters and i was like why aren't you giving this to the reporter um or um and it said luke on it too right so like i was just, why why are you not handing this over serena are you the worst person ever um and i was grateful that he did have it but it was just like it was just too many missing pieces
0: right so it made it just
1: a little bit murky as a viewer Uh, but i was very grateful when he did end up with it and this to me was like a beautiful what it ended up being was a really beautiful reference to what we were talking about before the original if you haven't read the book the book itself as you find out in a postscript is actually the conceit of the book is that you are reading um the transcript of audio tapes that have been found like underneath the floor of a farmhouse in Maine, that was a house on the underground female road. So you're reading something that like a handmaid had escaped or was escaping and had recorded her story and then hid her story, the tapes of her story. And then someone after the fall of Gilead found those tapes and realized, Oh my God, this is the story. The first person, like a primary source document of Handmade from Gilead, and so like these tapes are a reference to that from yep. the original yep. material.
0: It was it was a really cool callback for those who have read the book. And I feel like I need to, I need to couch something here. I feel like anybody who hasn't read the book who just heard you say the fall of Gilead got really excited. um But I, I think I think we need to explain to them that in the book, I believe they said it went on for like another what two hundred years or something. It was something ridiculous. It was a long time.
1: It was well. So in the book it's, it goes on well, well beyond June's death. Um, also in the book, it's, it's, you never, there's a lot that's different, but you never know if Nick is actually trustworthy. You never know if she gets out. You never, you never see Moira again after the first time. Like there's a lot more that's the book is a lot more bleak, mm-hmm. you um, know? But yeah, it definitely in, in the book, Gilead goes on for much, much longer and, and, everyone that you know basically dies like a hundred plus years before gilead goes away yeah. um don't think because i that's a good catch because i did fall gilead and that's going to make a bunch of people think that gilead is about to fall um not that the show has to do anything that the book did but um don't think that that means that it's gonna fall next episode or something
0: right i will say that not to be super spoilery and I won't say what actually happens to them, but if in the book, what happens to Serena and Fred happens on the show anytime in the next couple seasons, uh, that will be kind of miraculous and awesome to watch.
1: Yeah. Serena is also like ancient, you know, in the book.
0: Yes. Like,
1: quite old. Um, and then the, they also don't, they don't a hundred percent know who Fred is because they're working from historical, doc, historical documents. So they even picked, um, Waterford, like there was a couple candidates for who commander who Fred could have been. Um, there was like the sort of this media guy, and then there was another guy who it could have been. Um, so there's there's a bunch of interesting things from the book. But if you if you haven't read it, it's a very short read. Um, it's quick because it's, it's so enjoyable and interesting. And there's still new details. There's still details from the book that have not yet made their way into the show that they're continually incorporating. Yes. Um mm-hmm. Like the, yeah, there's still great things that they're finding their way into the show for the first time, even three seasons in, which is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And I think that really just uh, lends credit to Bruce Miller talking, you know, when it was first announced that he was writing for the show and he was the showrunner i think a lot of people thought that was odd but you you know all you heard about from everyone that was working with him was his passion for the material and really his passion for margaret atwood and the book and the subject matter and i think that's really come across in how they've uh, not completely just blown through the book so they could get to their own writing and i think them continually uh keeping things from the book incorporated into the story is you know speaks to their real Uh, affection for the novel itself so i think that's been great absolutely so now back to commander joey and his wife who are listening to their mixtape at least that's what i gathered now i was a little confused at the end of this scene so maybe you can also clarify this for me were they was he crying i'm not sure
1: um i definitely they're listening to mixtape and being adorable together maybe they
0: were crying Uh, i couldn't i couldn't tell if he was laughing or crying they were like sitting there listening to uh, the song was cruel to be kind by nick lowe um and like he starts like heaving like you would if you were laughing and or crying, but I couldn't tell because you were in kind of in June's vantage point from the other room. So I just didn't know if anybody knew. So if you know uh, or had an insight into that, let us know. Um, next is the Serena and stupid Fred at the airport. If Serena gets off and you think, because this is what this show does, uh that everything's gonna be all right. She says she was perfect, now it's over, and Fred says it doesn't have to be. And of course,
2: <laughs> oh, I hate you.
0: That's one of those things where you're like,
2: damn it. (laughs)
0: Uh, So, but a nice little scene before the terrible ending um, of Matthew and June are at Loaves and Fishes and of Matthew makes the uh, announcement that she is late um, and that she hasn't told the commander yet. And that, as we know from the previous episode, this will be her fourth if she is truly pregnant, um, her fourth child that she gives to Gilead. And so you kind of for the first time from our vantage point, see the crack in her you know she's been fairly uh, pious as june would say uh, up to this point um and we haven't seen many cracks in that foundation but this is really the first time you can see her kind of you know coming to the realization in front of us that this is happening again and she can't believe it and it, it was just truly kind of a touching moment between those two um one because now it does confirm that she is maybe someone that june could work with on the underground But also just for her character that you kind of do see that she has a heart and a soul and, you know, feels everything that every other handmaid seemingly feels about this situation. Which leads us to Luke and the Walkman, which what's about to happen is uh, a great scene followed by a terrifying thing. Uh, Luke gets the Walkman and I'm like, oh shit, June Cinema mixtape, which I was like, I'm super excited. Uh, wow. She taped over it, which I feel like a smarter person than me should have saw coming, but I didn't. Um, and I thought that was super awesome. So there are some things that she needs to tell him. And so she runs down all this stuff. She tells him about Nick. She tells him that the that Nicole's name is really Holly. Kind of run down all these things that she needs to tell him. And it's done in such a soul-crushing but beautiful way by her. You know, it, it, It's so realistically done, I think, which is one of the things that I think when this show gets itself right, it does very well um, that these moments are handled in a way that actual human beings would handle them. Um, And I felt like her kind of stumbling through talking about this and just crying through the entire thing was totally accurate in how this would happen. And her saying, I need to believe that you can forgive me and that she loves him. And I just It was a beautiful, beautiful scene. So tell me what you th- took away from this.
1: Um, I felt like it was sort of the perfect way. I'm I'm glad that June told Luke everything. Um, it felt like I don't know. I I feel like on a on a different show with different being written by different people, they would have waited and held it out for maximum drama and had like luke find out in the presence of june and nick on live television or something you know like right as maximum as possible but like this was a way for her to tell him that was somehow intimate and personal and like clearly he's still on the show and he's she had the opportunity and so she was able to do this and i don't know it it felt honest and like what a real person would do of like, yeah, this is, this is a part of her life and this is true. And and I love the way that she put it of that she was born out of love. Um, and so it, it sort of was like, I don't know, it felt true in that um, she's not necessarily apologizing for it, but she's just letting him know this thing that might be hurtful to him, but that also is like, was pretty essential to her survival. Um, and that it could be very hard for him to hear, but that also she she, she owes him this information, you know? Like, because, it, not that she automatically owes it to him, but because she had the opportunity to share it with him, it was the right thing for her to do, to, to tell him if she could. And I think ultimately, I think he will be glad that he knows this information. Um, and I think that this was like, honestly I can't imagine a better way like it's actually shocking she got this opportunity but like it it's as close as she could have ever come to like having a one-on-one conversation with someone outside of Gilead right, right. so I, I yeah I, I think that this was like a best case scenario frankly for her to be able to tell him on her own terms and to be able to like you know if I when I was listening to it I flash back to thinking about like okay picturing her in that basement and like she was able to like compose herself and think about it and like tell him the way she wanted to tell him. And obviously, it's not ideal, but you know, I don't know. I I think it sort of clears the decks for if they ever are in the same place again physically, or it just even if they have another weird ass phone call with supervised by a million people. Um, this will not be hanging in the air. Because no. uh, I do feel like he. You know, he met Nick weirdly, you know, like he's seen them. He sort of knows who these people are now, which is so weird that he's he's spent more time recently with the waterbirds than he has with her.
0: Um, true. Very but, true. That's that's an interesting point. Yeah. I'd, and I, I love the, you know, the, her telling him that she came from love and that she kind of gives him permission to find love there. Um, because it's a thing that you need to survive and it was it was very touching very beautiful and you know again going along with her character who uh, all this time has been searching and telling people that you got to find love in these situations and that's what's going to keep you going through and so it was very on point for her to tell him the same thing you know kind of give him permission and then run down all this information that was hanging out there like you said so i thought it was it was gorgeous but now Because we're on The Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) Still. Um, They let us know, hey, things are not all well and good. So, Commander Joey Lawrence comes, gets June, says they're here for you. Um, And so, they get her in the back of the van, which we haven't been in the back of the van since, I don't think, like the first season, like the end of the first season. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Uh, And so, she is, we like have no idea at this point what's going on. But you know the scary Handmaid's Tale music's playing in the background. And so we know it's not going to be good. Uh, so she's greeted by Aunt Lydia, which is a terrible sign. But I had this odd moment where, like, are they getting her out? Like, I don't know why I thought that. Like, in reality, why that came across my brain? But like, all of a sudden, I was like, okay, did like Serena pull some strings? Is Lydia having a moment? Like, is she kind of over it? Are they like getting her out of Gilead just to get all this shit over with, so I don't have to deal with her anymore? <laughs> but you were too much trouble. We I, said <laughs> like honestly, I thought about that. I was like. At some point, don't you just go, all right, but this one, she can go. Just this one. The rest of them, they can stay. This one, we got to get her out of here. At this point, we've wasted too much time, effort, and money. Uh, it's just, it just, uh, I don't know why I thought that, because uh, silly me, I know this show. Um, so,
1: good for at least having an idea. I had literally no clue. I was right. just like, what could they possibly be doing with her now?
0: I actually wrote down, what the fuckery of all fuckeries is this? Um, so, uh, Aunt Lydia opens up a box, which is nicely wrapped and embossed in the uh, Gilead logo. And
1: how much money are these people spending on branding? My right.
0: <laughs> exactly. Like, who needs to see that? Why does that need to be a thing? <laughs> why, is, why does it need to be in a nice box?
1: They're always like that. Like, look at all the Nazi crap. Look, they spent so much time and money on that. I don't know. Banners everywhere.
0: Ugh. Gross. So. Then we are led into a TV studio where they begin to broadcast this, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a plea to Canada. And I guess they're probably broadcasting this around the world because they would want other countries to be sympathetic with them. Um, That their baby has been stolen and is currently in the possession of a fugitive named i guess did they name luke i don't remember i don't think they did but talking about that she is with a fugitive in canada and that they would like for their child to be safely returned home to which jude puts on her her, one of her june faces and we get a close-up shot and then we're done to the tune of sunday bloody sunday by U two, which for those of you who are credit people who sat through the credits um i will inform you that if you watch it to the end of the credits where the song ends it ends directly after the line and the battle's just begun, which is not unintentional
1: <laughs> First one thing that I noticed was that only in Gilead when someone says posture, does it doesn't mean that you need to like look down and slump like <laughs> ever means like, look up, shoulders back. <laughs> um, I, the TV studio thing was like, if you had given me a hundred guesses, I never would have come up with she's going to go be on television um. The Sunday Bloody Sunday thing, and zooming in on her eyes like that is definitely the like, oh, they are, they are fucked. Um, but I have to say, I also had a similar like feeling. I mean, not as much battle level, but um, when they were playing Good Day by the Nappy Roots, mm, yeah. Pretended she was assigned to Commander Joey Lawrence's place, so that's one thing that I there's quite a few episodes this season that end with like, Oh shit. And sometimes it turns out it's Oh shit. And then sometimes it's like, Oh no, we're just going to continue to be a really slow ponderous television show where not a lot happens on the resistance (laughs) front. So I don't know. That's one of my, one of my criticisms of this season is like, all right, we'll see. So uh, I'm not going to share whether this is one of those times where where things get uh things get messed with and or whether it's one of those times where everything dissipates. But um, there are times where it works out, times where it doesn't. Uh, also, you mentioned, did they say Luke or not? If Luke adopts Nicole, her name will be Nicole Bankole.
0: Wowzers! Has anyone
1: thought about this? I resisted the urge to ask Bruce Miller because I thought he might think I was a moron, but just. <laughs> Also, her name is spelled N I C H O L E, and his last name is spelled B A N K O L E. Um, he did mention that Luke Bankole's name is actually inspired by Ot. Okay, I'm, we're gonna have to take this out because I said his name very wrong. He did say that Luke Bankole's last name is inspired by the actor's last name. That like it came from his family tradition, huh? which is pretty cool. Did not explain the whole story, but that that's where that comes from. So that's cool. Um, so then I was like, I'm not going to ask my very dumb question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just the idea that someone's name could end up being Nicole Bankel. uh,
0: (laughs) I'm glad that's one of those things. I didn't even think about that, but that's so true. Well, when uh,
1: you type it a bunch of times, then you start thinking about these things.
0: Right. I would imagine that it's, it's, it's amazing what you start thinking after you're like, do a show about the show or you write about the show, just all the weird crap that pops into your head. Um, so yeah, the, the question is where the hell is it going from here? And I did read a couple interesting things, non-spoilerly the, of people who kind of have some theories and some interesting thoughts that are things that I just haven't had much time to think about and put it together. But, uh, some people kind of think we're going down the line of if they can prove that Fred in a Moripovich Povich kind of way, you are not the father. Um, and that Serena is not the mother that there will be no legal claim to Nicole And then if they can just prove that, then there will be no reason for Canada to say this is your child to begin with. So that, however, depends on our buddy Nick coming back somehow. And so that'll be interesting to see cuz i did I, I thought that was very interesting like oh that's true like if they can just get to that point and i and that seems fairly obvious when you think about it like oh okay well let's prove that but there's a number of things you have to do in order to prove that um like you know have dna of the other people involved so i don't know how we're going to go or where we're going to go from here now i know you've seen 6 so
1: um, i wonder how the so I agree with you on the Fred part. Like that's an interesting thing that they would have to do. And yeah, you'd have to round up all the people and science also, which Gilead is somewhat allergic to. Mm. Um, but I wonder on the Serena side, because we've seen in the past there's well, there's interactions with foreign countries that they do sort of bend over backwards to respect Gilead's so-called culture, which um, Gilead very much uses to their advantage as a way to just do whatever weird violent misogynist stuff they want to do and they call it culture and then they're fine I wonder if they would get away with the um the mother side of things by being like well this is how this is how we have mother like if that's if that's how you if that's how you birth a child if that's how you mother a child in their culture Hmm. it, it might just be like well that's how it happens in Gilead. So she's the mom, you know, yeah. I wonder if they might be able to just use the culture, uh, excuse to hand wave that one away.
0: Interesting. I don't, I knew no, no idea. I just, I, again, it's one of those endings of an episode where you're like, uh, no yeah. clue, no clue. But and no, they're, they're red
1: swinging for the fences, man.
0: Yeah. He's, he definitely is. And Serena seems to be going along with it from what we can tell. Uh, so we'll see where all of it goes. I'm very intrigued, very intrigued. Um, I Thank you again for filling in tonight. I appreciate it on short notice. Um, and it was awesome to be able to talk to you again. It's been quite some time since you and I have been able to chat. And uh, tell people where they can find your work on The Den of Geek. You are writing about the show on denofgeek.com. Is that the website?
1: Yes, if you go to denofgeek.com, we um, slash U.S., I don't think you need to, but yeah, we're the U.S. site. Um, I was actually able to go to press day for this season for uh, Handmaid's Dale. So there are some videos up there of me talking to the cast. Uh, So far, there's only like a non-spoilery one, but we should be hopefully putting up some more material from those interviews that I did. That is spoilery as we get to the spoilery bits um, as the season goes on. But yeah, so I was able to interview a bunch of the cast members and Bruce Miller and Warren Littlefield and a bunch of other people. So uh, there will be a bunch of that stuff.
0: Well, if you Uh, I tell you what, if you send me that, I will post that on our Facebook page.
1: I will share that. Awesome. Um, Yeah. And then I write about a whole bunch of other stuff at Den of Geek as well. And you can find me on Twitter at Delia Mary, D-E-L-I-A-M-A-R-Y. Yeah,
0: that's where to find me. Definitely a great follow on whatever social media that you can follow her on. She's fantastic. And it's down for all the things and does more things than I could ever think about doing uh, ever. So uh, real quick before you go, as a little bonus content for people out there. Mixtapes. Mixtapes figured heavily into this episode. Um, So what I would like to know from you is... Who uh, who made you the best mixtape that you ever did? And did were you a mixtape maker? Now, also, I know you're younger than me, so you might be a mixed CD person. I'll allow that, even though I don't want
1: to. Okay. So, yeah, it's definitely a mixed CD. Like, I made mixtapes when I was younger for myself, like cassette tapes, but that was not for very long. Um, best mixed tape, we'll call it, but it was a CD, was from one of my high school boyfriends, shout out Greg Kelly, very good friend still. He's now married and has a kid who is a very cute kid and his wife is very lovely. Um, He called it arsonists are so in because that summer there was like multiple fires, several of which turned out to definitely be um, arson that they were doing because they wanted the insurance money in our town. And it was a really, really great CD of like alternative rock. And then also some screamo at the end, just to fuck with me. it was like music that made you fall asleep, and then just just pure screamo at the end, just to just to wake me up. Um, but no, really, really good album that actually I need to find because I like continued to listen to it for years. Um, but he has really great taste in music, and I still get good music recommendations from him to this day.
0: Fantastic. No, I, I have, I still have. It was funny that they like sh- that he, Commander Joey still had a box of mixtapes, and at his wife had kept a box because I still have legitimately like a giant cardboard box of mixtapes that i made or i have or people made for me still in my house and i will bust them out every once in a while and listen to them that was you know that was my era so i I did mix cds as well but for the vast majority of my mix making career it was it was tapes and uh, i'm a giant music nerd so it was one of my favorite pastimes Uh, we had a tape that i made like my, my best one wasn't even made for my wife, which is sad. My best one I ever made was for a road trip that we took me and my buddies in high school when we were like 16, barely, uh, going down to like this resort. and I say resort, like a camping resort, um, where we were like staying in a cabin by ourselves for the first time, like all, you know, thinking we were cool. And I made what we refer to as the greatest mixtape of all time that belongs in the Smithsonian. Um, I was very pleased with it. it. I did a lot of like, it even did a little like, uh, like voiceover stuff, like some clips from movies that I was really, di- that was super difficult to do back then. Cause you had to like literally tape it off the TV and then pause it and then do the music. <laughs> so uh, I didn't have like a, you know, a sound clip website to go to back in those days. So I kind of had to you know make it up on my own, but uh, I loved doing that stuff and I made copious amounts of tapes for many, many of a, 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 a love interest uh, back in the day. So one of my favorite things on earth to do. So uh, we're going to give away some prizes next week and it's probably going to be related to mixtapes. I'm going to figure out a way for us to figure that out and have people post things about mixtapes on our Facebook page. Mostly well, actually, just most uh,
1: mixtapes. People should do those again. I'll
0: agree.
1: make you a Spotify playlist. And I'm like, I mean, sure. First of all, yes, please make me Spotify playlist. But second of all, no, I want you to make me mixtapes.
0: Absolutely. It, it, it takes more time. You got to like, think about it. You have to sit there while the song plays and record it. It's like, it's work. It's real work. Uh, so,
1: even you do like the bullshit millennial version of making a CD. That to me is still better than doing a, like just a playlist.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's still, it's still like, you know, involves hardware and like, putting something in and, you know, it's a little, it's a more, more labor intensive than, you know, just your normal playlist. So I agree. I agree. Uh, So deal. Yeah. Once again, thank you for joining us this week and we will definitely not make it uh, another God, what was it? Six months uh, between talking to each other. We will have you back on this show to discuss uh, many a handmaid's tale thing and uh, any other show that you're covering. Um, I will say that I had to think about you at the beginning of this uh, season as we were running down, you know, Hey, how's everybody been since we've been gone? Uh, Tiana and Sarah were talking about what they've been watching and it was like it was like the Delia Harrington recommended shows list. It was it was Barry, it was Killing Eve, it was yep. Serena Sabrina the Teenage Witch. It was all this stuff that I'm like Delia Harrington somewhere like just going like what I just felt a tremble in the force. <laughs> Everyone is watching all the shows that I told them to watch.
1: Nice. So Well, I'm gonna give you some recommendations real quick in case you haven't already watched them. Do it good
0: omen. Good Omens. Good Omens is great.
1: Yes. Um, Chips Creek, if you want to feel better about the planet and not like everything's going to shit. um, Did not mean to make a pun. (laughs) But uh, it is wholesome, Canadian, wonderful television. And I don't mean that in Eat Your Vegetables way. I mean, it's genuinely hilarious because Catherine O'Hara is one of the funniest people on the planet. I hope she wins an Emmy. I hope they all win Emmys, but mostly Catherine O'Hara. Indeed. has so many great wigs and all of her clothing and all of um dan levy's clothing is amazing dan levy is great he's a great writer great showrunner um what else am i watching uh i just watched jessica jones season three the final season i love that show and that character a lot if you did not love the second season the third season got better um it's not as good as the first season but nothing will be the first season literally won a peabody award so like yeah like let's let's temper our exhortations right. um, but it was it was a good good. it was a nice I thought of fitting goodbye to that character um and to that world. And I don't know, I still hope it'll come back some way. And like, listen, she's Carol, she's Carol Danvers's best friend. I'm still hopeful that somehow they will end up together in the MCU. We'll see how that goes. But I also wrote a bunch of stuff about it on den of Geek if you want to read things. Uh, a lot of people don't know that it came out because Netflix didn't really promote it, neither did Marvel. so on netflix um oh this is from a little while back the society on netflix if you like mm. things except this apocalypse happens in like a fancy town in connecticut so all these morons still have their parents nice houses except there's no adults around they mm. do a lot of dumb things but it's like little cwe in that everyone is really pretty for no reason and they like all look very old for high schoolers um, <laughs> But it's very much like, oh, these morons are deaf going to die. Like, they're not going to make it through winter. Uh, and no one listens to who they should. Uh, but it's, it's an enjoyable. And they, but it's definitely written by people who are, like, very nerdy. Because there's so many references to, like, oh, okay, we're all doing Greek mythology. And you're doing, like, a Tom Stoppard play, like, right off the bat. Cool, cool, cool. Like, <laughs> it's on a weekend watch.
0: Wearing on their sleeves, are they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's funny. All right. Well, we'll definitely check those out and uh, we'll touch base with you to figure out uh, all the shows that we should watch later on, uh, closer to the fall. So, once again, thank you. Always a pleasure. Uh, let's go, Blues. Suck at bread, Marshawn.
1: <laughs> the Bruins will be back and better than ever.
0: Mm. But it won't matter because i still have my Stanley Cup. So,
1: <laughs> I mean, we also have Stanley Cups. Well, we have had Stan- I mean, there's only one cup. Where- don't,
0: take, don't take my moment, Delia. Don't take okay. my moment don't take oh, you're it Actually, you can take it it's okay um again you're great everything you do is great i think i've said enough good things about you i think it's time to end the show All right. see
1: you <laughs>